Welcome to the Capitol Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm the executive director of Coastal States Organization and host of the Capitol Beach. Uh, I'm very excited about today's show. We are going to really dive into the weeds on this one. It is a wonky show on federal consistency and enforceable policies. This is a specific legal and policy topic uh, that actually has a pretty significant impact on coastal management and how the coast, um, coastal projects can be developed. Uh, but it's something that I think probably isn't your sort of isn't in your coastal policy 101 class. Uh, and I'm joined today by two excellent guests, Adam Shemp who is a senior attorney at the Environmental Law Institute and is quite an expert on a bunch of different water law policy. And then uh, a practitioner in federal consistency, Dan Gavoni, who is the federal consistency coordinator and policy analyst with the North Carolina Division of Coastal Management. That's the Coastal Zone Management Program in North Carolina. So really excited to have both of them talk about, uh, talk about th- these policies. Uh, but first, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Support for the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today comes from Geodynamics, an NV5 company. Geodynamics team of specialists provide accurate surveys of complex coastal environments around the world using the latest technology in marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing. With customized vessels and sensor configurations, Geodynamics delivers meticulous data products to answer their clients' toughest questions. Visit nv5geospatial.com or geodynamicsgroup.com to learn more about Geodynamics and their solutions that improve lives. And from the Coastal Zone Foundation. The Certified Coastal Practitioner Program from the Coastal Zone Foundation offers courses covering 11 different subject areas, including coastal engineering, ecology, geology, project management, and more. The CCP program emphasizes a multidisciplinary approach to coastal zone management, setting you apart from the competition and demonstrating your commitment to best practices and a code of ethics in your field. With modules available online or as live short courses, the CCP program is accessible to coastal professionals at all stages of their careers. Learn more at coastalzonefoundation.org. And don't forget, subscribe to the CNT Daily Blast newsletter for the latest news and updates from around the American shoreline. Want to support our work? Learn more about sponsorship packages at coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. Okay. Uh, well, uh, welcome, Adam and Daniel. Uh, Adam, let's start with you. Why don't you actually tell us a little bit about what the Environmental Law Institute is and what you do at ELI? Sure. Thank you, Derek. So ELI is a research and education organization. We focus on innovative, just, and practical solutions to environmental challenges, both here in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, We work on a wide range of topics. So I know we're talking today about ocean and coastal, uh, but we cover a lot of areas of environmental law, and we also work with a wide range of organizations from governments and multi-governmental entities to other nonprofits, the private sector, et cetera. So I and a few of my colleagues do work on many different aspects of ocean and coastal issues, usually analyzing law and examples of implementation to highlight opportunities for progress. So basically, what's likely to work in this place, given what we know about what has and hasn't worked elsewhere. Uh, And it's not all about changing law. Uh, It can be how to use existing law. And actually, one of my favorite comments I've ever gotten about my work 
uh, was from a, a woman at a state agency who said that our lawyers always tell us what we can't do. You tell us what we can. And for me, that's really the fun about this work. It's collaborative, holistic problem solving. Well, thank you, Adam. And, and I imagine if you're an environmental lawyer listening to this, you probably are aware of ELI, um, but would definitely encourage others to check out uh, check out ELI's website. Um, they are a great resource for explaining environmental law. I think you, you guys do a really nice job of, as you said, saying yes, but also saying what this means. Um, so if you're like trying to get up to speed on the Clean Water Act or you know you have questions about the new Sackett decision, go to Environmental Law Institute's website. They have a lot of information on it. Um, and also, uh, I'll give you guys a quick plug. Uh, you also hold, host a podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, check out Environmental Law's People, Places, and Nature podcast. They, they had me on a couple months ago. Um, I'm glad to have you guys on our podcast. Um, okay, I'll, I'll switch over to Daniel. Uh, same same sort of question. Can you tell me a bit about uh, NCDEQ and the Coastal Zone Management Program and then what it is that you do uh, with the program? Sure, Adam. Thank you. Um, and good morning. Um, so the Division of Coastal Management is within the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. <clears throat> and the Division of Coastal Management works to manage North Carolina's coastal resources through an integrated program of planning, permitting, education, and research. <clears throat> And so the division carries this out by using our state's Coastal Area Management Act and also our state's dredge and fill law and also through the Federal Coastal Zone Management Act using the rules and policies that our Coastal Resources Commission has adopted. <clears throat> and so my current responsibilities within our division um, is I am the federal consistency coordinator and a policy analyst. And so I review all the federal consistency submissions and also provide support to our Coastal Resources Commission and also our advisory committee on a very coastal, variety of coastal policy issues and projects. Well, thank you, Daniel. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, really glad we can sort of ground some of this conversation about what federal consistency is with a you know specific practitioner or someone who's dealing with this on the day to day. So my first question is, and we're going to get into a lot here on what federal consistency is, what the enforceable policies are that define federal consistency. Uh, but you know, first and foremost, like I think we need to talk about why this is important. So. At the highest level, federal consistency is saying the state has the ability to review any federal action on the coast. And we'll get into that. But like fundamentally, why is this concept of federal consistency important? Adam, I'll throw it to you before we get into sort of what it is. Just why is this topic important? Well, I think one element of it is how unique it is. Uh, there are not many opportunities, and we can get into a little more detail about this, but there are not many opportunities in law for the state to have the kind of influence that you just mentioned in terms of uh, on state resources and the activities that the federal government uh, conducts, um, whether that's permitting or that's actual federal agency actions. Uh, and so this is a... It, it also allows consistency um, for the state sets up a program and not only is everyone within the state expected to follow these requirements that are part of the program, uh, but also that the federal government is, is following suit as well for the most part. So a uh, both unique element and it helps create a more comprehensive uh, uh, approach and compliance with those strategies for trying to protect, restore, uh, and and properly, uh, responsibly develop the coastal areas. Thanks, Adam. And, and and you started to dig into this, so maybe maybe the next step really is to say, okay, so how how do you define uh, federal consistency? What what is it? And you started to get into what makes it important, but what what is it? 
so let's see, federal consistency, uh, it, at the risk of getting too wonky, uh, I'll, I'll back up just a step if I can and, and explain that. So the Coastal Zone Management Act uh, was passed in the early 70s, around the same time as laws like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act. But this one is quite different. The Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and many others uh, put expectations, obligations on states. And I think the federal government appreciated that not all states have coastal areas. Uh, so putting requirements on the states uh, would be inequitable, on those coastal states would be inequitable. Uh, and, but the overall purpose of trying to uh, provide the country protection, restoration, responsible development of coastal resources was something that they were really trying to pursue. And so this developed, the Coastal Zone Management Act is effectively an offer to states. They can choose to accept it or not. And the, basically what the federal government would be giving uh, in, as an incentive for the states to develop their coastal programs, and that includes the enforceable policies that we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, are, were twofold. One was money uh, to build the program and execute the program. Not enough money, but some money. And the other uh, is what we're talking about here with this federal consistency. It's more or less uh, the that they, the federal government would basically follow the rules that the state puts in place as part of this coastal program. Uh, the wonky way of saying that is that the, uh, this is the authority of the state to review federal actions for consistency with state enforceable policies. So for us political science, political science nerds out there, uh, it's a, a type of government called cooperative federalism, which sort of establishes the uh, the duality or the joint jurisdiction of, uh, over certain parts of ma management and government between the federal government and the state. And so the CZMA established cooperative federalism in the coastal zone. So uh, super helpful. Well, uh, uh, Daniel, let's, let's pivot to you sort of from the state perspective. Um, why is federal consistency important? Why is it important that um, you have this ability to review federal actions along the coast? Well, I think that the most important thing is, is that it's a federal state partnership that's been mentioned. Um, and without federal consistency, the state would not have any say in federal agency actions that are in the coastal zone. Um, and so it's able for the state to work with the, the federal agency to come to a compromise if there's any issues um, or anything that the federal agency needs to know from a state's perspective. So it does allow the state to have a say. I like that compromise because I think sometimes when I've heard federal consistency, it's often sort of bandied about as a, a as a at least those who aren't as supportive of the, the the concept bandied about as a way for states to stop federal action. But I've always thought of it as a way for states to, as you said, compromise or work with work with the, the federal government um, to create things that serve in both interests. Thoughts on that? Um, Absolutely. Um, that, that's the way we approach it here in North Carolina is that it's a partnership um, where we get to work and coordinate with the federal agency to make sure we're all on the table and we take everyone's concerns are taken into consideration. Excellent. Uh, so what defines, like what type of actions can be reviewed? And I guess this is where we're getting into enforceable policies, but Adam, I'll, I'll start this with you. When you're talking about how the state, how a state can review actions of the federal government, what does that mean? Are we talking, you know, specific infrastructure development? Are we talking funding? What, what are we talking about when we're saying 
the state has an opportunity to review these policies. Yeah, it is. So it can be the actions of the activities of a federal agency. So whether it's the Department of Defense or the Forest Service, um, so you're talking about logging, what kind of military activities are happening in a particular location. Uh, it can be permits. Uh, so Department of Energy, for example, uh, their permits, where lines are being located, where uh, electrical production facilities are being located, how they're uh, being conducted. And then uh, it can also be financing. Um, so federal money uh, going towards projects can also trigger that review. Maybe I'll turn to uh, to Daniel to talk about enforceable policies. So how does the state set policies? Well, what are enforceable policies and how does the state set them? <laughs> yeah, I'll try not to get too wonky. I guess that's the word of the day today. But um, so again, as it's been mentioned, the, the Federal Coastal Zone Management Act requires any federal action that may have any reasonable foreseeable coastal effect must be found consistent with the state's enforceable policies. And so what are these enforceable policies? They, they are policies that the state has adopted. And then with coordination with NOAA and ask NOAA to approve those policies so that they can be used in federal consistency reviews. So for instance, so once a policy is adopted at the state level, then the state coordinates with NOAA's Office for Coastal Management and requests NOAA's approval for them to be used. And this process is called a routine program change. And once that submittal is submitted to NOAA, NOAA then goes through an interagency review process um, and gets back to the state and lets them know whether or not that policy could be used um, through federal consistency reviews. So, for example, I'll give you some examples here in North Carolina. Our enforceable policies include our state's Coastal Area Management Act, um, our dredge and fill law, and the majority of the rules and policies that our Coastal Resources Commission has adopted, um, all of which have now been approved by NOAA. <clears throat> and so the objective of our policies here in North Carolina are basically to manage the state's coastal resources to ensure that any proposed federal act activity at or action is compatible with um, protecting our biological, social, and aesthetic values of the state's coastal resources. So you, you mentioned the, the Coastal Area Management Act, CAMA, which is something that, you know, just working nationally on coastal issues, I've sort of heard of North Carolina's CAMA, but don't know a lot about it. Can you maybe give an, like even a bit more of a specific example of what part of CAMA uh, could be, like is used as an enforceable policy or, or might be used to sort of trigger uh, a federal consistency determination? Yeah, our Coastal Area Management Act is the federal is is our state law that was passed um, in the '70s um, after the Coastal Zone Management Act, Federal Coastal Zone Management Act was passed, and basically it sets out the guidelines for our Coastal Resources Commission to adopt rules and policies um, that we use for regulating development on the coastal area. So it it, it sets the framework for those policies, and so um, again, sort of maybe like a kind of thing that like that that the your coastal commission has has established that could be used um, to trigger a federal consistency. Is there like a development protocols or what what would be triggered for that? Yeah. So for instance, a lot of coordination that we have is with the Corps of Engineers and that's for dredging our inlets and waterways. Um, and so we do have rules and policies about water depths and connecting water depths um, and turbidity issues. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of this, we want the, 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 dredge material to be beneficially used on our beaches. So all of those are enforceable policies that we have and we use with coordination um, through review with the Corps of Engineers. 
So the Corps of Engineers is looking to dredge a channel and dump the dredge material, you know, sidecast the dredge material or, or do something with the dredge material. You get a chance to review that action, that, that Army Corps action to say, hey, our dredge material management plan or CAMA, we, we've got policies in place that say, if it can be used beneficially at, you know, then, then you can do it. So like, is that how, how does that, is that how it works? We, we try to coordinate with the core. Um, that, that's one of our enforceable policies. And that's what we would like to see always is it beneficially used. We understand that the core can't always do that due to funding or other reasons. Um, but so it is one that we try to work with the Corps of Engineers. And I'll give you an example. The Corps of Engineers Wilmington District proposed an integrated dredge material management plan for the Moorhead City Harbor. Um, and after a lot of coordination with the Corps, we agreed through federal consistency review and our certification that the, the dredge material needs to be beneficially used using our beneficially use enforceable policy that we have. And so we conditioned that certification. That if after eight years, if the Corps has not performed at least two sand placement projects on adjacent beaches, then they would have to come back to our division for an additional review, an additional federal consistency review, um, so we could look at it and review it again. Interesting. Okay. So it really is sort of working with the Corps to determine path forward for achieving the goals of what the Corps has, but also achieving the goals of the state. Ideally, this just is a, you know, it's not, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a joint vision. It's not sort of a combative process as a, hey, this is how we can work together. Um, Adam, I'll, I'll turn back to you. Um, we have talked about the idea of federal consistency and using enforceable pos- policies to be a collaborative option. But can you talk a little bit about how, what happens when there may be disagreement, right? What what happens? I mean, this is sort of where I see is the legal, you know, where things start going to court or starts taking a legal turn is where the state says, hey, our enforceable policies say you have to do this. And the federal government says, yeah, but we're not going to do that. Um, how does that how does that play out? Well, I'll, this can get wonky really fast also. Uh, but I will also follow on with, with what Daniel said is that I think the collaborative element of it is is really the the key. And that while some of these uh, cases, adversarial cases, do arise and, and are the ones more likely to make headlines, that that is more, that is not the norm. Um, and, and so I think it quite often in the variety of states in which I've worked on these issues, that that is um, the, the collaborative element is, is how things tend to function. We don't litigate. We're not a part of this process in terms of, so ELI as an institution has been working with states on uh, doing the routine program changes that Daniel mentioned. Um, so it's sort of building up their enforceable policies, amending them as, as time goes on. Um, and as those laws change, that are the foundation for the enforceable policies that are passed on to NOAA. But in terms of what I have seen as a third party outside outsider, uh, in terms of those uh, and Daniel could probably add more to this than I could, but that the there are different policies. There, are, uh, in fact, the CZMA lays out the procedures uh, when there is discrepancy, and it also it depends on the type of activity that it is. Um, so, at the earlier, you asked sort of what what triggers uh, the reviews by the state, and so whether this is something that is a federal activity or federal agency. Uh, activity versus um, the funding or uh, a permit makes a difference in terms of what kind of 
discretion, I guess, uh, the, the federal government might have uh, relative to the enforceable policy. So what, what triggers, what procedures happen after that depend. Uh, but it, it, it does go to court at times. Um, and there, there are opportunities for the federal government to ultimately uh, decide that for, for example, federal um, uh, security purposes, that there's a superseding interest here um, that means that there does not need to be compliance uh, with the federal, uh, the state uh, enforceable policy at issue. So these things do happen, but again, are, are the rarer instances. Yeah, interesting. And, and particularly on the security front, right? Because you mentioned right up top that like even actions of Department of Defense can be reviewed at a state level. So, you know, Navy training exercises, different things that the Coast Guard might be interested in doing can be reviewed. Ultimately, there is a ability for the, the courts to say, no, this is a national security priority. We can't, we can't allow it. But hopefully, you know, most of the time, as you alluded, those, those issues are worked on collaboratively between DOD and, and the state and can be uh, addressed prior to getting to a court decision. Uh, Daniel, th- anything to add on that? Yeah, th- it's my understanding, though, if, if a state does object to a federal agency action or activity, um, that NOAA, I think the first step um, is that NOAA would like to see this go through mediation. And I, and, I, and I believe that NOAA facilitates that. Okay, so you go through mediation even before you get to sort of a, a full <laughs> knockdown, drag out court battle. So we were talking about enforceable policies, and I, I want to get back to that. Daniel, you mentioned a couple of different laws um, that North Carolina has that were um, approved by NOAA to be enforceable policies. And this to me, it strikes me that, you know, what what each state has as enforceable policies is is pretty critical because that's what that's what allows you to do this process of federal consistency. Can you talk a little bit more about the process of getting enforceable policies approved? So it's a state law, then NOAA has to approve it. Is that is that sort of all it takes or is there something more than that? Sure, I'll just run through run through it from the beginning. So, you know, in, here in North Carolina, we have a very great rapport with our commission, our Coastal Resources Commission. We work very close collaboration with them. Um, and so our Coastal Resources Commission has legal authority to create policies and rules and adopt rules um, for development activities in our coast. <clears throat> and this commission is made up of members appointed by our governor and the General Assembly, and they meet numerous times a year. And during these meetings, um, often much of the discussions include adopting new rules or amending old rules um, for, for reasons. And so once our commission adopts a rule or amends a rule and Division of Coastal Management staff believes that that rule would be useful in federal agency activities, um, then we would then submit that rule to NOAA through a routine program change and ask NOAA for approval. And then NOAA goes through their interagency review process where they submit it to other federal agencies for comment to get the comments, say, from the National Marine Fishery Service or from the Corps of Engineers or Fish and Wildlife Service um, and get their comments on this. And then they will reply back to the state saying that this rule has been approved. And so another example is, you know, what does the state do when a federal consistency submission um, is sent to the state? And so once a federal action has been deemed that it would have a reasonable foreseeable coastal effect, 
then the federal agency would submit us a federal consistency determination. And at that time, Division of Coastal Management staff, myself, will determine whether or not the information submitted by the federal agency is complete, that we have all the information that we need, and then we would submit it to our state agencies for their comment. Um, and we may hold a public hearing or a public notice to gather um, input from the public. And then at the end, we would review the activity to make sure it's consistent with our enforceable policies that have been approved. And then we have the option to find that federal agency action consistent with our enforceable policies. We can find it consistent with conditions, where those conditions will make it consistent with our enforceable policies. And as we have just discussed, we have the ability to object. Does that kind of paint the picture for you, Derek? Super helpful. And uh, I will now pivot to Adam, as we've talked about enforceable policies. Adam, I think just, it was, gosh, less than a year ago, ELI uh, put out a, a report called Strong Enforceable Policies, Examples, and Tips. And you were a co-author. I was wondering if maybe you could take a minute to, I don't know, sort of, <laughs> maybe sort of summarize uh, what you guys would consider strong enforceable policies. Sure. There are a, are a lot of elements. Uh, well, first of all, there are criteria that NOAA is looking for. There are things that are allowed or not allowed in terms of and what an enforceable policy can be. And I, actually, to, to step back real quick, I think Daniel covered this uh, pretty well just to clarify before I get into more detail here. Uh, your enforceable policies, they have to be enforceable. I mean, exactly as it sounds. And, and that is one of the main criteria that NOAA is looking for. And so one of the, the challenges that one can find, and in many cases, you're looking through state statutes uh, that are passed by the legislature, state regulations that are pa uh, promulgated by the agency, the state agency, um, or in, in many cases, many different state agencies. And so you're pulling all these together from different disciplines. Uh, and they can also be plans or other things that basically have teeth that, that are enforceable by the state. Uh, so uh, it's, it's pulling all of this information together, uh, pulling these examples, and then submitting them to NOAA, those that the state would like to have as enforceable policies and those items that the state feels would pass as being, that NOAA would approve as enforceable policies. So one of those things is enforceable. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of, a lot of discretion in state law, whether that's discretion that is uh, allocated to the agency uh, in particular situations to for the agency to decide whether or not something uh, is to proceed. Uh, it can also be the use of may uh, or should instead of shall and must. And, and Noah keys in on that. It, it has to be something that's a requirement. Um, or a prohibition, uh, thou shalt not. Uh, and so that's, that's one element. There are a lot of other ways of trying to cobble together an enforceable policy from the statutes and regulations that are out there. Uh, sometimes it's not all in one place. And there are ways that the laws, when originally written, you know, have a lot of exemption, exceptions to them. And how do you try to communicate that to NOAA in a succinct format? Um, and that also will be useful for the uh, permittees that are, are seeking that federal permit, uh, as well as the federal agencies to have a better idea of what it is that they uh, need to do in order to comply with, with those policies. So um, there are other elements that, that NOAA looks for, uh, things like I have seen a number of states include 
uh, specifically reference the federal government in requirements in state law. And that is something that uh, NOAA does not allow allow as an enforceable policy. There can't be a call out to the federal government. Basically, the idea is you can't create a law that's just for the federal government. You can't use the CZMA as a means of just requiring the federal government and no one else. The idea behind the Coastal Zone Management Act is that if everyone else has to do it, the federal government will basically be doing it too. So the the report really lays out different ways in which uh, states can have uh, their their statutes, regulations, et cetera, uh, be, be written in a strong way that will pass NOAA muster and will wind up being a very uh, useful tool as an enforceable policy for purposes of this federal consistency review. Thanks, Adam. Super helpful. And definitely, uh, I'll, I'll include that in the show, the, the link to the strong enforceable policies report in the show notes, um, but definitely a, a helpful thing. Um, okay. Uh, I think we're getting sort of towards the end. We've covered a lot. Um, one thing that we talked briefly before the show was sort of, you know, this is a lot about how the state interacts with the feds and how they work together. Uh, but Daniel, you mentioned before the show that the, the uh, federal consistency provides an opportunity for uh, public input. And so actually, while this is ultimately a, a, a process between two government agencies, there is an opportunity for public input. Could you talk a little bit about, about that again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you, we have the ability to conduct a public hearing if it's warranted, if it's a very big, major project. But we also, you know, conduct public notices, and the intent there is we want to gather input from the public, including NGOs um, and, and other nonprofits that might have some information that they would like to submit to us to be included in our review. So uh, another opportunity for for the public NGOs to weigh in on comment, you know, listening to what Adam was talking about in terms of how you create strong enforceable policies, it certainly seems like there would be opportunities for um, the public and, and NGOs to. Uh, work and communicate with their states and their state coastal zone management programs to help help them craft and shape enforceable policies if they feel like there's uh, uh, something something there that has not been uh, approached before. So um, while this process is really a, a process between the state and the feds, there's certainly opportunities for other people to get involved and think about how it can help um, shape the coast. Uh, one other, I just did want to make one other plug. If if you are a practitioner in federal consistency, or this is something you're really digging into, it is, I think, important to know that ultimately NOAA is sort of the final arbiter here. Um, and NOAA recently put out a brand new uh, learning module through Digital Coast. So if you are if you're not familiar with Digital Coast, you should be. Uh, but definitely check out Digital Coast and just search their federal consistency uh, learning module. Module. I think you can just Google. Digital Coast and Federal Consistency, and it'll come up. It's a, it's a good a good overview of, of all of this too. Okay, this is for really for either of you. Before we sort of wrap up and, and sort of final question, anything else that I should have asked, or anything else that you wanted to make sure uh, listeners would learn or know about Federal Consistency or enforceable policies? Derek, I, I don't think we need to get in the weeds on this one, but there is a part of Federal Consistency that we haven't touched on, and and that's listed activities that a state has listed and had been approved by NOAA to review these federal agency activities. So um, what I'm trying to get at is each state has to create or submit to NOAA what federal agencies and what federal agency actions they would like to review through federal consistency. And so that automatically triggers 
consistency submittals. Um, but there's also certain situations where a state may not have listed a federal agency activity and they, the state has the ability to do what is um, called an unlisted activities request, where the state submits to NOAA a request saying, hey, we're aware of this. I, we know we don't have this listed um, for us to review, but here's why we feel like we need to review this and why we, we feel like it's, it's going to have a, a reasonable foreseeable coastal effect. Interesting. So something that might have n- not really been considered in the legislative process over the past decade, but all of a sudden comes up, there's not pl- policies in the books, but it could still, the state can still request a, a consistency review. I think one of the things I, I've learned about federal consistency in my, my brief time working on it is that there's always, <laughs> there's always a little bit more to learn. And, and while it is a legal framework, it's, there's, I don't know, it seems like it's, there's a little bit of an art to how to manage this. It's not just a science. It's you know, figuring out where, how to balance the cooperation, how to balance when you're going to sort of trigger the consistency. I don't know. Am I, am I overstepping my bounds on that one, Daniel? Or do you, do you think this is all very cut and dry? Or are there some aspects of feeling around and figuring out what makes sense to this? I would agree with that. But I would like to add that Noah's staff is very helpful. When you start getting in these gray areas, um, they're easy, you know you can reach out to them and ask for advice, and they're always willing to guide the state and what direction they feel like the state should go. And I think all the federal agencies that we work with are, are in this feel the same way. And so at the end of the day, we all get together and try to work through. If there is a strange, unique project, try to work through it um, and come to a and, and come to a conclusion. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to to Kerry Kehoe and David Kaiser, um, two really really good dudes who have been working on this at NOAA for a long, long time. Know a lot, um, know a lot about other stuff at, at uh, NOAA too. If you if you missed, I had, David Kaiser was on my podcast giving us the history of the Coastal Zone Management Act, and I, you know, he really has lived the history of the Coastal Zone Management Act. So, absolutely, they they definitely know their stuff. Well, thank you both for joining. Um, sorry, Adam, I, I think I might have cut you off. Did you have something else to add? I, I really like Daniel's addition there, and I would add one more thing to that, and that is uh, geographic location descriptions. Oh, yeah. Give us a quick uh, overview. Yeah. Well, and, and I think just something for people to look into, especially those who are have not dealt with those, uh, but more or less it's the opportunity for uh, areas, uh, instead of having it be an ad hoc request uh, for as new things come up, if there are developments, as David mentioned, with offshore wind, for example, there may be many of these coming on and the state would like to try to get a request for any of those types of activities to automatically need this, uh, require the state review as opposed to ad hoc one by one, they can submit this request for a geographic location description that identifies the, the, the geography of that area as well as the activity that they're focused on. And then it would basically trigger this, if approved by NOAA, would trigger this automatic uh, review by this opportunity by the states. Yeah, thanks for flagging. It's an important point too. Well, we have covered a lot of ground in just over 30 minutes. Um, So really encourage folks who are interested in this to uh, check out the resources at NOAA's website, check out the resources um, at Environmental Law Institute's website, and check out the resources on your own Coastal Zone Management Program. My guess is that Probably every coastal zone management program in the country has a, at least a web page um, on how federal consistency works in their state. So, a lot of places to learn more. Before we completely wrap, I always like to hear from my guests 
how they how they connect to the coast personally, not just not just professionally. So, um, uh, Daniel, we'll start with you and then turn to Adam. What is your favorite beach or coastal area? Where do you go to to relax and unwind and not not think about federal consistency, but just enjoy the coast? <laughs> well, that's a very easy one for me, um, and that would be the Cape Lookout National Seashore, which I um, call and the locals call the Cape. It's basically in my backyard. It's 20 minutes from my house by boat, and it's just an impressive place to to go and, and as you mentioned to just get away and get lost and uh and relax a little bit of pirate history there if my if my geography holds plenty um, of it <laughs> okay adam how about you uh a little harder for me i'm torn uh so i'll give two i guess uh one is coquina beach in bradenton florida where as a kid i spent a lot of time visiting my grandmother and uh the other is prince william sound in alaska where i've gone many times with my mom awesome well, thank you. Thank you both for sharing. Thank you both for, you know, providing such good wisdom and insight on these um, complicated topics. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. <laughs>